0: Hey, Rodney. D twenty. Mm, like twenty sided
1: battleship. Twenty sided die. <laughs> die. Commonly wrong game. used in wrong games. Commonly used in games yeah. like Dungeons and Dragons, mm-hmm. role playing mm-hmm. games, and whatnot. Here's yeah. a life hack for you. <laughs> Having a hard time making decisions? Mm-hmm. Want to spice mm-hmm. up your dating life? Make yourself <laughs> a list of twenty options, and you roll that dice when you can't make up your mind, and you just go with it. i love it and hey if you want to experience
0: things in life and you don't know which one you want to experience next make that list 20 and always add to it roll that dice boom hey you never know what you love until you experience it
1: (laughs) i can't even i can't with you i just can't
0: that was good season four welcome back this is the season of shared american ideals and as you know there are so many shades to today's america
1: yeah 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 that our flag was still there and all that you know and today when we're talking about when we have these conversations we try to infuse compassion because we find that oftentimes Compassion is not a part of the conversation about our ideals, helping us span the fact that some of us do have differences in our ideals. And that's what Keith and I are here to do. We're here to anchor humanity, all of us, in Compassionate Conversation.
0: And with that, today we are with June Cleese from Compassionate America. So Compassionate America is this great initiative to promote a compassionate agenda and it's online. I mean, the 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 pledge, it's long, it's intended to be delivered to, to our public leaders and get get more public leaders behind this this vision, this cause. And in this conversation, we talk about liberty and justice for all and what that means to her. We talk about the American Enlightenment and how that informs her current opinions. Um we talk about historical truths and how we feel about those truths, truths. Talk about hindsight's role in navigating and evaluating history we talk about a lot of things it's a deep conversation june is amazing and she has a lot of insight and and super smart so we're super happy to bring this conversation
1: to you today and before we get into it we want to talk to you about where to find us. you can find us at moreincommonpod.com that'll lead you to everything else the social and the merch and you know all the things all of that uh you're on a podcast app more than likely. You could be listening on a website. But if you're in a podcast app, please consider rating and reviewing us or or just one of those things. And if those are too much, perhaps there's somebody in your life that could benefit from the conversation that we are having or just had or about to have. Depending on where you are in the cycle of listening to this podcast and, you know, share it. Share it. Some say sharing is caring, I say sharing is caring, and we care about you and we thank you for listening. Let's go get into this.
0: So before we get into this episode, I got to tell you a little bit of something that Rodney got me into about seven months ago. One of those things, like, he talks about these things all the time and I hardly ever try them. But this one Super in particular, cool. Audible, Audible for audiobook listening. Like I tell you, I love reading books. I don't have a lot of time. I got two kids, two jobs. I got, uh, you know, a relationship that I try to invest in, but I really like to read books and there's a lot of information out there that helps us learn for our, for our business, learn for podcasting, learn for all of the things or just pleasure in reading. Mm -hmm. And it gives me that space to, to listen. So Rodney, thank you for, for putting me onto them because I'm excited to
1: put other people onto it too. Yo, man, glad I could help. I love it. I've been doing it for years. I highly recommend it.
0: And I know you do it for for driving and yeah, I do for driving, driving
1: in L.A. And and honestly, you know, you get to get one book for free. You can you can send a book to a friend for free. You can return any book if you don't like it. I mean, that's lovely. And, uh, you know, they got a, a trial period going on. You get a free free membership to start. So we're going to put a link on our website. Go check it out. Uh, it's an affiliate link. We do get a little bit on the back end. So you're supporting us. We, we really appreciate it to our website moreincommonpod.com, check it out check it out audible
2: but uh, but in uh, but in all honesty that's 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 it you've, i mean you've hit the nail right on the head that's it when it comes to any experience that's lived you have to start with questions You know, uh, I think you have to start with questions in life in general, but you have to start with those questions that, you know, if you really want to understand that person and what their decisions were in that time and space, you have to go deep and you have to go into those questions, like you said. Finding the heart within yourself to accept the places where you perpetuate systems of the past without your knowing it or you engage in perception. You have to wake up to the fact that you are participating in things that may or may not, on deeper analysis, right, have roots in things that you really would be ashamed to to be affiliated with, if that makes sense.
0: All right. Welcome back to More In Common. Today we are with Dr. June Cleese. Uh, Dr. June is a Community College Humanities and Social Behavioral Sciences instructor. And while she focuses on history, she has taught in the areas of cultural diversity, education, geography, and the first year experience. Now, Dr. June has also helped establish the Compassionate America message. What compassionate America stands for is nothing less than what compassionate Americans from all walks of life have done in their daily lives throughout our history. It isn't unique to America, but it acknowledges that the spirit of 1776 called for the fundamental rights and freedoms of humanity to be recognized, honored, and respected under the rule of law. This value system has woven itself into the fabric of America in different ways and only has ever been maintained from generation to generation by compassionate Americans who love their country. Now, the rest of this pledge can be found at CompassionInAmerica.org. Um, and I definitely encourage you to go read it. Um, it will be in the show notes. And in the spirit of our Season 4 Shared American Ideals, we just had to have June on and are extremely excited to have have you
1: here today thank, thank you for you. being with us
2: thank you for thank having you. me
1: so i do want to talk about the pledge and keith your question is amazing we need to go there i'm pulling i'm pulling first question card and i want to talk about an answer you gave june um you 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 gave a beautiful answer about liberty and justice for all and i want to start uh, i just i want to ask you what that means to you um as a as a historian, as a professor, as somebody who who studies what these mean literally. And then, um, so from almost a definition standpoint, what they mean to you. And then what mm-hmm. do they mean to you personally?
2: So when I think about your, well, it's the first part of your question, um, I go to life, liberty, and property. And I go back to the Enlightenment. I go back to the values of the Enlightenment. That and how radical of a time that was in in human thought. Of course, it was an evolution, but then um, the shift away from the idea that you know society is a top down versus a bottom up, right? Or you know that shifting towards. Excuse me, I said that wrong. But shifting towards the idea of the bottom up versus a top-down relationship with power and and then of course the role of the individual and respecting the individual and I think the enlightenment without going into like a lot of the history lesson kind of stuff of it to me as a thinker and this is kind of where I would like to then segue into the second part of that question to me as a thinker Even with all of the the faults in application, because you're dealing with ideas, you're dealing with ideals, you're dealing with philosophies, right? These are ideals. And then a generation, well, generation in specific, but then subsequent generations grappled with, right? How do we employ these in a practical way? How do we make these real? And of course, the American enlightenment, representing that, that voice in a different way, again all of its faults recognized all of the misapplication misinterpretations or even for the time what was in those philosophies that was not in service to humanity because there were things in those philosophies that were not in service to humanity what can yeah. what, how That's how do you move sorry
1: i said yeah just a few
2: yeah just a few and so so the thing is that you w- To look at, without being Pollyannish, because that's the thing, you don't want to be Pollyannish when you're looking at the past. You want to be realistic. Where were the things that humans... Well, let me restate that. So when it comes to the Enlightenment philosophies, that you know, as I studied them as a student, as a teacher, et cetera, and I think back what they gave humanity was they opened the door for humanity. It doesn't mean that humanity was necessarily ready to walk through, but they opened the door for humanity, right? And to start thinking and and, um, considering life from different perspectives and angles. And humanity went about doing that in both awful, horrible ways and also some very good ways, right? And and that's where I tend to look at things. You've got your ideals, right? And then you've got what humanity is actually capable of, of manifesting from those ideals at any given period and time. And we have to understand that there's going to be limitations on people's thinking because of their cultural dynamics that they're in at a time, that time-space realities, right, that people mm-hmm. are blinded by, that they are limited by, that they are mm-hmm. willfully or un aware of you know the fishbowl phenomenon right and how we we -hmm. will justify things and we think the world is you know okay i mean we all know that the world is flat kind of concept gets debated in all sorts of ways but i want to go there per se but the idea that you know people will hold irrational beliefs right, right at the same time as they're holding rational beliefs and so you know it's it's that evolution of where humanity can go. And, you know, I taught Western Civ uh, type courses earlier in my career, and then I came back to uh, adding them in. And Western Civ, I tell my students, you have to be very brave to study Western Civ. I said it is one of the most, you know, I mean, American history obviously is a very has a very dark side to it as well. But there's still that dynamic of a movement towards something, right? Whereas when students see Western Civ, <laughs> they see this cycle of, oh, humanity's getting, oh, wait, it's a little bit, and then, oh no, and then now humanity's doing a little bit better by human beings and Oh, okay, well, no. <laughs> you see, and, and so it's finding those gems in history, not, again, to be a Pollyanna, but instead to find those practical things about the past that segue into what you can do in the present, right? And, and, and learn from those places where humanity was wise enough, right? And this is the key, I think, wise enough to not miss an opportunity not miss an opportunity history is so much about missed opportunities isn't it where we could have thought as and when i say the we i mean that collective eternal we kind of thing right where where we could have said to ourselves if we had been brave enough or been able because again fishbowl. i mean how busting out of the fishbowl is so hard right and so so when you get to that place where you say there that well, I, I think of first contact is a great example here. Okay. Wait, real quick. If, I'm
1: sorry, real quick. Um, I want to jump in for just one sec, please. You've given us a couple of gems in there, but I want okay. Keith. I want you to go. something yeah, Like, because I want to. I want
0: to. You've you've alluded to on a couple of occasions the awful things in the past. Mm-hmm. At the in the um, American history is a movement towards the dark past of American history, but trying to find the gems to learn and live towards the ideals. You got to know both. Right. And this is something that I think about a lot. And I'm curious to get your perspective on Mm -hmm. the role and the failed execution, my position on it in American, in American present in reconciling the truth of our past Mm -hmm. in that, our economy was built on on free labor and slavery and the subjugation of people and women not being able to vote until 1920 and jim crow being abolished in 1967 only for education um racism and uh, you know uh, the criminal justice racism and all of these things that as a society and i and i parallel this to like germany who mm-hmm has made a deliberate, at a a political level, effort to reconcile the Holocaust, Uh yet we, we try to ignore it, generally speaking. You have a group that shouts, stop ignoring it, and the other group saying, hey, it's not here anymore, and and we refuse to reconcile it. So yeah, a long way of throwing my opinion into my question, but um, I... how do you see the role of reconciling that past in order mm-hmm. for this American history, which I totally believe in with you as a movement towards something that is the ultimate gem to find.
2: Can you, can you restate the question more, just one more time for me.
0: More succinctly, yeah. I yeah. have a tendency to do that. It's all right. What what role do you see reconciling the past playing in moving towards the a- ideal that America was founded on?
2: Oh, it's huge. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah.
2: It, it's, it's fundamental. I mean, it, you have to have the hard conversations. And the fact of the matter is, you know, we've seen a... I don't consider myself an expert to be able to talk about the statistics in depth. So I won't do that. But what I will say is that there are times when the times when humanity does its best is when I think they're willing to sit down and listen to each other. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a very simple concept. And, you know, uh, we've been talking about the listen first stuff. Um, I mean, those folks are doing incredible work and it's, it's something I want to get to later in, in this chat, but uh, in relationship to compassionate ideology. Um, but, yeah, we have to do that. We have to do that work. And, and, it, and it, we have to be brave to do that work because it requires looking at the parts of ourselves that we may not want to look at. And I think this is where intergenerational conversations really will matter in um, moving forward um, because there's a lot of blame that goes on in society at large. We understand that part of human behavior. Um, You know, the psychologist could call it projection, they could call it this, they could call it that. And I, I understand why people go to blame, but I think it's more about the issues of, boy, how do you express this? It's more about the issues of finding the heart within yourself to accept the places where you perpetuate systems of the past without your knowing it or you engage in perception, you have to wake up to the fact that you are participating in things that may or may not, on deeper analysis, right, have roots in things that you really would be ashamed to to be affiliated with, if that makes sense.
0: Mm -hmm. In in, essence, accepting the fact that your status today has something to do with what happened before. You may not have contributed to it. And it's not necessarily your individual fault, but it's there. Well and I talk- accepting that it's there yes. is a huge part for
2: right. And 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 that's and that's not an unachievable thing. Mm. Um because you just have to talk to people about historic empathy. Um, you have to be able to have people mm. understand people of the past as human beings. And that doesn't excuse. It doesn't justify anything of the past in a in a way that says now this makes things right or we should just dismiss it or whatever. It means we have to understand people on their own terms as both uh, flawed, but also um, people of decent most it, people, it, not everyone but it would of allow decent to look hearts.
1: at it, it would allow us to look at it honestly.
2: exactly
1: because the the benefit people history gives the benefit of time and is often written by those who won. I'm gonna air quote one as, so as the way they paint Attorney their General picture told us. And so I firstly want to say. Uh, as the resident black dude here, I'm so proud. I just, Keith, when you asked your question, I was just like, well, I'm done here. I, I've done my work. I <laughs> Keith, we're good. It was good to know you. Go forth and do good things in the world. <laughs> Fix this. Um, no, but like hearing this conversation and not feeling like I have to say anything is, um, it's oddly freeing and relieving. Could you tell
2: me more about that, please? I really, really would love to hear more about that.
1: Ah man, I just feel like there's this constant education that I have to deliver. Or I and and really it's not that I have to, but it's I get to. But it's that since it's constant, it is often a weight on what like and it's not just my weight, and it's not just and and I can't carry the weight for all black people, but in a way I do when I'm doing something like this, whether I want to or not. And also for uh, indigenous Americans and for brown folk and for yellow, like for people who are not the norm, I feel this weight of like, but wait, there are other marginalized people that are not being taken into account. Um, That's what it is for me. Um, And something interesting you said, uh, in so in the idea of reconciliation and like being honest about, the past and the people in it. Uh, When we asked you about managing difficult conversations, you said being willing to ask yourself the hard questions first. Mm -hmm.
0: Um,
1: I think that's like, I think what you said about reconciliation for this country is is correct and I think it's beautiful. I don't think it can ever happen until people can do what you said first and asking yourself the hard questions because and shifting this to one-on-one relationships. You know, we can't do this honestly with the people that we love, like our wives, our husbands, our partners, our children. There's no way we're gonna do it for some abstract person in history or some dude down the street that is a threat or, or, or I subconsciously or consciously see as a threat. No way I'm worried about how they feel
0: Mm-hmm. If I can't
1: even get to how I feel or how I feel about the person that I love because I can't ask the question you said. And you said the first question, the first like, what's the first hard question? How deeply am I listening to this person right now? Um, I heard something yesterday that said, you know, like, Keith, we say this sometimes the, the facts don't matter. Like it, it's somewhat tongue in cheek, but in interpersonal relationships, the facts have fuck all to do with what's happening it is about your subjective reality and my subjective reality and whether or not i'm willing to validate and believe the things that you're saying and whether or not i'm i'm gonna allow you to be in that or not and if we can if we can't do that we'll never ever ever get to reconciling slavery like you kidding me you say slavery to the wrong person buttholes pucker you just called me a racist,
0: like no, bro.
1: Like slavery no, happened. I
0: mean, you, you own <laughs> slaves right now. Like I'm, I'm not, I'm not there. No, I, I
2: thank a- you, Th- thank you so much, gentlemen. I, you know, it, it, and that's just it. This is something that I've been doing, you know, in my work, uh, is to, to with students is to have people understand that um we have to connect with the past through the vehicle of human beings. <laughs> you know, and 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 that's that's not an easy thing because, you know, obviously, again, as when you go from the scholastic angle, um, you know, there's disciplinary standards. There's all kinds of things that have to occur that you can't take certain cognitive leaps, right? But as individuals, reading and processing, the fact is we are going to make sense out of that history in ways that maybe even the writer, is completely unable to predict because of our own lived experiences. And that's where history really connects and becomes a tool of the present. You know, it isn't about, it really isn't about getting stuck in the past. It's about seeing the past as a a vast laboratory from which we can examine uh, what works and what doesn't work in human behavior. And,
1: and that's- I just I just want to say thank you for asking that question. Um yeah. it's not one that's often asked, and I don't I don't know that I've I've probably explained that to a handful of people and two of them are on this conversation and
0: uh <laughs> <laughs> mm.
1: uh and well, so thank I, you I, for that.
0: There there's something very interesting in the the simplicity of perspective, but the complexity of it at the same time, and that like you talk about radney facts not mattering they don't matter to your interpretation of those facts they matter that they exist oh for sure Um, but we all we can interpret like facts can mean different things to all of us in some very like the fact is that it that happened how i feel about it may be very different than how you feel about it See, and and, there's no go no go ahead
2: see and that's the that's the thing that i think that we have to have those hard conversations about yeah. because it, it really comes down to feelings, right? Okay. So there's the understanding of the past and then there's mm-hmm. what we feel about the past. Okay. Right. And, and that's the, where I say the pedal hits the metal in terms of the work of the applied aspects of so social behavioral sciences in particular. And, and I think that our society has rightly at some level Gotten stem focused for for good reason, but then at the other le- level, I believe it has swung a little bit too far. Um, and that's just normal in society and, you know, I mean, pendulum we, and like pendulum. Yeah.
0: Like the one point to, to close that thought. And Sorry. I I no, no, I appreciate it. I, I like the active active discussion and it's always the joy of doing this remotely, right? Um the historical empathy is something, it's something that has resonated with me so much lately um, because I've really started to try to think about it. You see it in today's political climate where um, tenured uh, politicians are judged harshly for the decisions that they made in the past based on today's lens of that decision not based on the lens of the decision made then if you go back and think about the lens of that decision at the time you can look at it and say wow that was that was a bad decision at that time are you ever not thinking about Biden right now and the, the because of crime the, law the, the ability to reflect on 20 years of impact that that decision had, right? Like I, I use busing as a, as a, as an example, when you look at Kamala Harris scorning Joe Biden on his, uh, you know, position on busing. But when you go back to that time and you think about the divisions that were had without the, the knowledge of, without the ability to have predictive um, perspective. Like, I do not know how this is going to play out, but we all think this and it's about 50, 50. So we're going to decide. And if that decision doesn't work out now, all of a sudden Monday morning quarterback kicks in Well, to, to, history and, operates
2: on hindsight.
0: It really does. And, and as a result, we end up not wanting to re- like, it, it creates this weird space where we're not talking about our feelings to your point. And this is a whole digression that I want to lead into something else after Rodney makes his thought. But this is where I think Mr. Rogers was so far ahead of his time. I, I mean, I think oh, he, actually oh, I'm scary. so
2: glad you just said that because like, I was, I, I'm sorry.
0: His, his space to, yeah. I mean, you said it June, like we step away from the emotional processing and it's due to historical context of weakness and all these other things when we're not teaching our children to process and a- acknowledge and, and be aware of their emotions so that when they're adults, these things aren't hard for them.
2: History is a great right? laboratory for looking at emotional intelligence.
0: Yes. Oh. oh.
1: If yeah, if
0: there's the I, quote.
1: <laughs> I wanted to say, um, Keith, what you were saying there, because like, we don't have the we as we're making we as we're making the decision we don't have the benefit of hindsight and it is interesting i mean really all that is that you're talking about like Kamala on Biden or Trump on Biden right now with the crime bill like yeah. um that look back to your point june is not an honest evaluation to your i mean like com- combining your points it's not an honest evaluation of what was happening and why it was made now it still might have been a bad decision, because or it 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 may may have had bad uh, outcome. Right. It right. may have been a good decision, may have been a bad decision at the time, and but all that's happening right now is political grandstanding and scoring points because there's elections to be won. Like that's all that is. It has nothing to do with like you know. Because and then, and then the harm in it is that we don't allow a politician to change a view because that's flip-flopping it's not Mm -hmm. growing
2: see that's just it and what it comes down to is i think we have a fundamental problem with in our society with perfectionism and a lack of ability to see human beings as human beings i think that's one of the worst things that has happened in the past i mean there's a lot of things that have happened in my lifetime but i have seen this exponential growth of the of this false standard of perfectionism and that's mm. really where compassion Creech. in america comes back to it comes back to this concept that let's for tie it all together
0: say, let's go <laughs> if i
2: look at what the things i did in 20 years ago and I really look at what I did in 30 years ago, 50 years. I mean, or, well, me okay, 50 it. years ago I was, I was yeah. just an infant.
1: Let me go but, back a year. Let me <laughs> well, right. and, and I'm sitting there going, oh and my and, goodness. and
2: this is where that intergenerational perspective I think is extremely important and missing. And that's why I think history allows us to, as a as a discipline, but many other disciplines can do this as well. It can allow us to take these abstract and distant and um to, to younger people especially very remote right things right to them I and mean, I, when i was young i had remote things into my life too right, right. And, you know, and uh and find those ways to have those meaningful reflective dialogues i mean i do that in my teaching the degree of efficacy is always a ongoing uh, self-evaluation right i mean that's what you do as an educator but to get people to see that humanity in humanity is, <laughs> is a big challenge. Oh boy,
1: there's yeah. a quote.
2: And it's and, and it's not because people aren't willing. It's because I think 90% of the time it requires an element of looking into yourself that you have to be willing to do. But in order to do that, you have to prime people to be gentle with themselves at the mm-hmm. same time. With themselves. And, yes. yes. Because I mean, and this is really to kind of come back to the Compassion in America focus a little bit, if I may. Um, this journey, as with any journey, starts with the personal. And, you know, I look at my own personal life story, and I see um, a very privileged child <laughs> in many, mm. many ways.
1: Can I
0: pause you for just a second? Are you, yeah. like, feeling our energy? Because I tell you, that was the next question. Where did it all you come from? Segwayed yourself <laughs> like, into the you segued, next like, do, do you do, should we walk away? Energy. I just want to listen now. I'm just gonna Energy. listen to this. This is this is like, outstanding. <laughs> so <Do> you... continue. <laughs> um, well,
1: first
2: of all, you humble me greatly, gentlemen. So I will I will take that with, with a degree of, of humility. But, on thank the
1: you. on the privilege thing, like I want to stick here for a second. Um Help. you say really privileged in many ways would you mind going into some of those ways and then sure. how you came to that realization for yourself mm.
2: that i well, I was lived a privileged life
1: yeah
2: mm-hmm. I, I well obviously you know as a woman there's limitations right and in the era i grew up i mean for sure but um white i accept that i i don't i don't accept it with uh uh, enthusiasm but i understand it
0: why don't you accept it with enthusiasm
2: they're not fair
1: Hmm.
2: it's not fair to fellow humans
1: is there a degree of uh, i'm going to use the word shame shame or is it just dislike
2: i i can't call it shame because um my I, I, for me i can't call it shame because i have a hard time with the concept of shame in general mm. um it, it doesn't mean that shame doesn't have a sociological role in society i you know I'm, i understand that but at a personal level um i just would have to call it boy it, 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 disappointment's a good word, but it's mm. it's but it's I think it's a little bit stronger than that um, it it's guilt? also re, a re, there's a responsibility that comes with that awareness as well. Mm. As, does that make sense? uh it, it's like well now wait a second here. Um, I'm not entitled to this. This is a subject of, I, I happen, uh, you know, as a student of history, right? A person who was born into the royal family, you know, you think about divine right of kings, <laughs> you know, they were walking around like, well, I'm just, oh, you know, come on, I, I, I'm born. The, I mean, okay, I'm exaggerating. I, I tend to be colorful, I tend to be animated, but they're walking, it, it makes it come to life, okay? <laughs> so it's just my teaching style, too. But, um you know, at some level, there's this, this, this self affirming dynamic that occurs right and 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 i i really don't honestly i really can't fully say when i started to feel those feelings and be you know i know it was in my childhood i I know that i but i Mm. and i certainly then the academic side of it came along as i studied and i learned and you know but i i I was i would say it just comes from an intuitive sense more than anything else as uh, in my childhood that well. This isn't, this isn't how it is for everybody. Why isn't it this way for
0: everybody? What do you see the responsibility the rest- being?
2: The responsibility is that once you realize that you have had a life of privilege, uh, the first responsibility, I think, is taking your own blinders off. Uh, that's where you have to say and ask those very deep questions to yourself um, where has my privilege blinded me to areas of bigotry and sexism and racism and things that I, and like I talked about the systems, right? Because the systems that are around us will help weave a story for us and a story into which we're born, a context into which we're born. We, uh, we will absorb narratives, whether we want to fully or not even, right? We're consciously or not. Uh, that's that fishbowl thing we were talking about a little bit earlier and i the very first step is it you know and and it's a journey of self-discovery this is the thing that i think we could talk about certainly how things are taught in schools and you know all those kinds of things but at the end of the day it always has to come down to the individual and what they're willing to look at within themselves to create personal meaning out of what they're learning and what that what that's going to look like for them and what walk they're going to walk in on this world, you know, and how they're going to interact with other human beings from that. And, you know, history makes people angry and it has every and and they should get angry. There's nothing wrong with going into that anger. There's nothing wrong with going into the fears. There's nothing wrong with what it brings up in you. The responsibility piece comes in where we say to ourselves, Mm. I'm having emotions towards this. Now, let me look at what those emotions are, because then those emotions is where I'm going to find in myself, you know, and this is not stuff I would do with my students, because, it, mm-hmm. you know, it, you know, because then you're going way too far out of, out yeah, of the role of what the classroom a, is. Yeah, totally. I'm, I just need them understanding, you know, certain basic, and then they go wherever they're going to go, right? Mm-hmm. that's their, their, That's their world, right? But for me, as an individual, that's what it was. It was it was challenging myself, and then as I became more educated, and also saying, well, you know what? These are gaps. You know, these are gaps in my learning, and I'm going to be open-minded, and I'm going to read, and I'm going to learn, and I'm going to ask questions. And somewhere that happened in my life, and I don't really know where.
1: Hmm. Um, so good. God, I don't even get into that. Um and put a pin in something else you you started with privilege and then let's continue. Like, where, where does that go for you?
2: So in the, you know, in terms of my own, like I mentioned earlier my own childhood, I am a, a a trauma survivor. And um, when I look back on my lifetime as a, as a journey and looking at How that unconsciously and unconsciously shaped my reality, because there were aspects of it. I was in this is not a time when there was going to be recourse for anything that, you know, occurred and uh, for various reasons, both family dynamics, societal dynamics. It was the 1970s. You know, I mean, there's, you know, uh, and we could talk about how much I feel like we're gone back in time to the seventies right now. Gosh. I mean, it feels like when I was a kid, <laughs> the little culture, yeah. the climate, the stickiness. Thank you
1: for sharing that you are a childhood trauma survivor and sorry that you, you are. Thank you. thank you. Oh, yeah.
2: And, and I think that affected my journey a lot and how I process the world and both, both in ways that I was conscious of, I think at a, in more of a abstract (laughs) conscious level as a kid, I, it's hard to explain, but then also as you grow into adulthood and then deciding that I need to look at this, I need to look at this because it's affected my relationships. um, It has led me to make decisions that were not in my best interest or necessarily even mm-hmm. in the highest functioning interest of those around me. And it doesn't mean I, I consider myself of having lived this terribly flawed life, but yet I've also lived a terribly flawed life. <laughs> mm-hmm. you know. And see, this is what I'm saying about where where this leads a person uh, in their own self ability to ask that hard question of myself. I mean, mm-hmm. so at a micro level, okay. I'm using my own life sort of as an illustration for what we're discussing at a macro level, which to me, the micro level is okay. So if I, this is part of my history,
0: okay?
2: mm-hmm. um, it has unconsciously shaped a lot of the things in my life and affected people around me negatively, not necessarily in big ways, but sometimes in ways that I go, wow, wow. I wish I had been more self-aware that that was occurring. I wish I had listened better. I wish I had whatever. And, 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 then I had to say to myself, I have to confront those failures within myself at one level, at an emotional level. And I have to say to myself, I was blind at one level. Now I can see, <laughs> you know, at another level.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And now what? Now that I understand this, I have to think and say, well, first and foremost, is there anything I need to make amends for? And... You know, and this is a lifelong journey. This isn't something that just happened two days ago or, you know, this has been over the, because you awaken to new understandings as you have new experiences. I'll give you an example. I do not have the greatest track record in relationships in terms of, I am a serial monogamist, (laughs) but I know that what happened to me in my childhood (laughs) affected those relationships. And I'm sad Mm -hmm. for it. I'm very sad for it. If I could go back and see things differently at a younger age, I would. But I'm now 50 years old, and I'm not 20. And I believe that what my life experiences, uh, for example, I've become a stepmother <laughs> at a late age. I got, just got married back in, in January. Congratulations. And thank you. And um, that relationship has opened my eyes to things that I didn't realize about myself. Mm. And I was able to sit back and go, wow you know, in becoming a stepmother to adult women, that has allowed me to look at things in my own past, in my own relationships, and well, you know, just getting to know them and my my husband, and, you know, um, you're never really done self-examining, right? The unexamined life is not worth living, all those, you know, great vices of the ages, but also platitudes at the same time, you know, and and yet that journey, becomes an extremely humbling one because I realize how flawed I am and I realize how imperfect I am. I realize how biased I can be at times, you know, about things that I don't even didn't even realize I was being biased on. You know, I, I think a lot of it just is openness and openness and not be fearful of your own emotions. I think that's the, the big thing when we have these conversations. You cannot be fearful of your own emotions. And too many of us are Terrified to look at our own emotions. Once so, you do, you move forward.
0: Your so you, story, can, you can move forward. Y- your story, like, speaks mm-hmm. to my soul. The way you—not—not not the details of it, but the way you frame it and you talk about it—as um, I go through this journey of looking at my past self as a as a as a data point to inform the present right? Versus a judgment of who I am today, right? Like this is active work that I've been doing, especially in the last couple of weeks, because I'm really, really hard on myself, right? And I often look at those past mistakes and say, boy, you're a bad dude, right? Like not, oh, you made a mistake and you learned from it and it informs who you are today and so this journey of of judgment right that i see you doing like I'm, I'm watching you beat yourself up while you're telling this story right um because i feel myself doing the same thing ties into this space of compassion right like that that self-compassion to say like no i mean things happen you learn things as you go sometimes you know there's the old adage boy if i were to go back in time and know what I know today. It's like, yeah, but that's part of life, right? Learning those learned experiences leads into this space of compassion and in turn, compassionate America for you. Exactly. So, like, how does that tie together? Like what, what in that journey got you to this space, uh, where this pledge, um, for compassion in America comes into play?
2: Yeah. Well, that and then, of course, that opens up another story. So I will do my best to not make it too long winded. But, um, well, you know, like I said earlier, it starts at the personal. So, you know, my own life experiences, my own academic, you know, academic, interpersonal, you name it. Um, But then the other thing would be my friendships uh, in particular, uh, some of my lifelong friendships that I'm thinking about. And you two make me smile because, mm. um, I have, uh, three, <clears throat> two, excuse me, sisters, as I call them, <laughs> and they are uncles and, well, excuse me, it's not uncles they are aunts to my, yeah, my, my, to my daughter, you know, and, um, my friend in particular, I'll talk about my friend, Trish, Trish and I met, I think in fourth grade and, uh, we, that. uh, yeah. And, you know, and then we bonded over all things, the monkeys, <laughs> in like 10th grade and anybody who knew us then probably the band, we were for
0: those millennials correct. out there with me yes
2: correct exactly yes the band and uh you know we we're 16 and you know we were definitely 16 in some of those thoughts and behaviors and all those things and um but there was an innocence in it i mean you have to admit it was a, a group of 40 year old men when we were in our 30s going and we're going like yeah this is great you know we're very innocent people <laughs> I think my parents went, huh? <laughs> what is this? You know. But anyway, um, but that's just it. I, you know, and this, if I may, go into that intergenerational aspect with this too. Yeah. You yeah. know, we grew up in an era of um, Trish, and I grew up in an era. She's the co-founder of Compassion America. Okay. Sorry, I should have mentioned that earlier. Sorry, Trish. Um, the um, we grew up in an era that. Yeah, so, again, I don't like these monikers, and I think I've mentioned this before. I'm not a big fan of those generational monikers, boomers, Gen X, etc. except they are utilitarian in the sense that uh, if I say I'm Gen X, then you know that it's likely, not predictive. But likely that I've had a certain set of historical encounters in my life that I was situated in a certain time and place. So yes, I was very glad when You're, disco you're died.
0: Gen Z, you didn't have a rotary phone. You'd probably don't know what it is, right?
2: Exactly. Those types <laughs> so,
1: of things. A not probably there's a chance. <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's a there's good a chance, chance.
2: Right. right. <laughs> there's a good chance. And and yeah. right, and that's normal. And 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 we shouldn't be judging each other for those no. types of experiences. You know, it's one of the things that does. I mean, listen to my daughter, and I I always have to encourage her not to you know think about boomers sort of in that uh, stereotypical monolith way mm-hmm. and i don't want anybody being thought of in a monolithic way I, it's just not fair <laughs> but we it's can not understand human what's not right and, and but yeah. yet at the same time we do understand that you know you can if you've lived somewhere and gone through certain things there's a common sense about you know those points of reference so that's fine for me i don't mind that use of it but don't stereotype me on it
1: Right, and and I think that's a point, Rodney. Of it to your point of it being utilitarian, um, I think one of the more useful things is it can inform, not just how was I going to say mindsets, um, emotional mindsets, and and I mean that from a um, oh you were a child of the depression that is going to inform how you think about economy and finances and raising Mm -hmm. your children. Mm -hmm. um, And those children are then a product of somebody who grew up in the depression, which they may rebel against. I don't want to save everything. Or they may embrace, but it gives you a framework to say, okay, they may be coming from this, which I think the problem in it is that we take those possibilities, probabilities, whatever you want to call them. And we say, I know you instead of saying, I might know you. Here's a place where I can start by asking a question.
2: Question, exactly, exactly. Can I bring you into my classes? <laughs> <laughs> <Sure>. I, <really laughs>
1: I don't know so, what but, I can teach, but I'll
0: yeah, I'll stand that, there. Yeah, that
2: right there. That that <laughs>
0: that's well, we'll, exactly. We'll it. teach we'll teach the more approach, bro.
2: That, uh, but yeah. in, but in all honesty, that's 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 it. You I mean you've hit the nail right on the head. That's it. When it comes to any experience that's lived, do you have to start with questions? You know, uh, I think you have to ask, start with questions in life in general, but you have to start with those questions that, you know, if you really want to understand that person and what their decisions were in that time and space, you have to go deep and you have to go into those questions, like you said. Um, so when you look at where we were at situated in time and space, we were, um, affected and and again i'm also going to have to pinpoint this geographically because somebody who grew up in southern california may not have had some of the same cultural dynamics too right because of the history of the area we grew up in um and we're east, what coast. Area was that? east coast pennsylvania okay mm-hmm. uh, coal region mining region you know, urban
0: urban of. pa or oh yeah no, well, coal, coal region, it, it coal region
2: it. pa which is a yeah, kind of an it. odd it. hybrid right of, like a west of,
0: virginia border area kind of Uh, the the appalachians eastern
2: eastern side though got it closer to Jersey and new york and i grew i grew up on philly and new york television got it which was awesome because i i that brought uh, intercultural you know was not my area was not very um diverse back then it is more now um and um yeah, I mean, my favorite show was, like, What's Happening and and all sorts of things from, you know, back in the day. I, I didn't care what I was watching. I just loved it. It was a whole world outside of my world, and I loved yeah. it. You know, as yeah. a kid, it was just like, wow, there's all this stuff happening out there, you know. Uh, but anyway, we grew up in the shadows of the World War II generation. It was very present, very, very present in in our lives. I mean, it was our grandparents. And uh, we also grew up in the shadows of the civil rights generation, which in many cases were our parents or um, sometimes grandparents. Um, and you're sort of sitting there as a 70s and 80s kid. <laughs> Think about the messaging we were getting. You know, we were getting Schoolhouse Rock. Hmm. okay Where Sesame? we're Sesame. Hey, I'm born the same year Sesame Street came on air right you know i mean all the values mr rogers
0: dr spock parenting styles
2: um hmm. not as much by then
0: oh that not was not as that much was, by then okay. okay it's
2: there at least yeah. it, you know it's there i i, I you're sure. aware of it we learned about dr spock in school a little bit and i remember some of my girlfriends and i going I'm making a face for the listeners. What is this? Thank
0: you for don't know Dr. Spock. Yeah, yeah. What is this? Soap, children should be seen, not heard. Right, mentality, you know? and then and from there, it. it gets dark. Yeah.
2: Oh sure, there was some of it there, but but okay. there, we inherited uh, we inherited a lot from those two generations and yeah. and their work that they've done, and and we were and and believe you me, you heard about it. Yeah, (laughs) you know yeah you know and it's sort of like your kids today don't know what we went through and and but but it was more than that i know that some of my peers certainly would have you know issue with it but boy it's really hard to describe because what you're dealing with is an impression of childhood from childhood right and so it's very hard to go back and not put your adult understandings interpretations of those understandings on things but what i will tell you about the right the feelings right the feelings in that era were oh my gosh these people did all this for us wow Mm. we better step up and and do some right by this world and oh good and and look there's naivety Hmm. in this okay because remember you're talking about a child's or adolescent perspective on this but the feeling at that time that i remember having and i remember discussing with others was that in that sense we were privileged from history right that these people had gone and done this work and they had fought and and you know look what they sacrificed now granted we were hearing only mostly part of the narrative not all of the mm, narrative sure. but we were also the generation where the narrative was opening up right the narratives now you're really starting you know women's history Mm african-american history you name it everybody Mm -hmm. that you could start to see that inclusion coming and we were and people like me were like yeah right let's do this sesame street man (laughs) let's make it real and it doesn't i don't mean to sound trite with that i really really don't mean to sound trite with that what i mean is that there's a sense of mission that i think does didn't get full expression at least, for my to my taste, as an individual of that generation, of what we what we value from that, we are very much a bridge generation. In some ways, mm-hmm. we're very we're a very oh, I don't know. I think we're an under-understood. Is that did I say that right? Under-understood sure. generation. Sure. Uh, a lot of time has been spent on the on the Gen X and are not the Gen X the uh, millennials, right? We yep. know that a lot of time has been spent on the Boomer, and a lot of time yep. has been spent on this. We is it again. is it duty? <laughs> There's a duty. You mean like to to what like we're doing? A sense of
1: duty. Like yes, a-
2: yes, yes. That's it. A sense of duty. Because let me let me just illustrate. I guess again from my my personal perspective as I feel I have a duty to serve my country. And I feel that compassion in America is an expression of that. And and, and it comes from what I think I see as a path forward for this country. Um, Does when, when, that come out I mean, of,
1: since, you, since you're a child of the World War II generation, mm-hmm. so like you said, look what these people have built for me. So like they literally, many went to war, you know, the reasons they, for which. We don't have to get into. But the way it was felt was they went for me, for my liberties, for my Absolutely. freedom. Absolutely.
2: And same thing so what right. am I
1: doing? Right. What, what am I going to do am to earn that, to carry oh, is it, is that it, legacy? How, how am I
2: paying it forward? How am I paying it forward? Because that's to me what my when I look and I see those generations and, and it can be hard to, to talk. At times, you know, I, I listen to millennials and on down complain about boomers and I'm like, well, yeah, I was raised by them. You want to know how to deal with them? I'll tell you how to deal with them. I know know that sounds again, that's my humor, but you know, (laughs) there is an element of, of, of just learning how to talk to people where they're at. And I think that, that there's an element of bridging that my generation can do. Right. Mm. Is that, um, you know, we're, we're good at listening, I think, overall to a lot of different ideas. Um, we were raised to do that. We were encouraged by culture and society around us to do that. The Cold War was on, and, and we were proud, most of us, to be good little Cold War warriors. Now, where you <laughs> fell on the political spectrum on that— <laughs> Right, where now that sounds again an overstatement. It's my comedic style. No, I, I no
1: there, was, I I had was, had like there were missile of, drills. Of, get uh, under the desk, right? Being a under the desk,
0: just being a proud to, to serve. Yeah, I think. And it's we good. and
2: hey, right, and and I was not a desk generation kid. I mean, by that yeah. point, we were going well. You know, you're just a pile of ashes under a desk. Yeah, so, yeah.
0: it doesn't matter. Anymore. Yeah, right. Yeah. So
2: you get you know that 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 narrative had weakened quite a Uh bit by the 80s but it was still there and and certainly that civil rights narrative oh man you know
0: yeah in the 70s
2: and you'll well even before you know just the history that we learned for sure just the history we learned and 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 the lives you know the people that put their lives and they said there are greater values than me on this earth You know, that my little limited perspective and Mm. and and I can serve that I can move. And that's where I come back to that, you know, where we started with the reading from Compassion America. You know, that's what I'm talking about there. It's the bravery to say enough. And I think we're at that point in history again. Mm. I think we're at that point in history again where we say to ourselves collectively as a people enough. And we have the constitutional leg to do it, and that's I do mm-hmm. want to
0: get into that if we can. Can I um, interject real quick um, for Please. multiple reasons, um, but time being one of them. But yes, there there are two things um, simply because um, we, we do have to to be wary of time. Um, but I have this thought, and I want to get your take on it as it relates to the necessity of compassion in having everything that you defined in, in a common purpose, common good, win-win situation. It's this weird thing as humans that we do because we like stability, mm-hmm. it's to believe that what we have is guaranteed. Mm-hmm. Not just the day, but democracy. Democracy is not guaranteed. Correct. Right. Um, it's a man-made system. Or a person-made system. Capitalism. It's a person-made system. There is nothing guaranteed or stable. Sure, it is in a way self-sufficient, but at the end of the day, it's people interacting with it. Like, there is nothing guaranteed about it. It can fall apart tomorrow. And if we as people do not take on this mission, then these systems that everybody says are broken, as you said, like they, they exist, like, like we can fix them. But if we think of them as broken, they will break apart and we will not in turn be able to steer the ship back to a corrective state. We will have to start over again.
2: And that's the thing that scares everybody. And that's what we're trying to stop. We, yeah. we, don't, we, we don't want this to end up being what history has taught us it could be. And I'm not talking necessarily about Hitler and all those things that you hear flying around. We don't know what our manifestation of that decline will look like. We don't
1: know. Right nobody thinks Rome was a republic. We're a republic. It fell.
0: So with that being said, um, I I, I know there's so much more we want to go into on Compassionate America. Unfortunately, this conversation has been rich with so much great content and hopefully it intertwines and and got a lot of the message out. And um, to Rodney's point, you know, maybe we we have you back and have another conversation here Um, because I think we could easily go five hours. There's one thing. Oh, go ahead. Well, I,
2: because I'm thinking about things that we have to talk about the role of the media in this, I would think that's Amen. another important facet, Amen. because yeah. we're not we're not fans of the way the media the you know, because we even say it in the document that bipartisan media yeah. you know, uh, nexus, it's, it's been destructive. and And, yeah. and, and like I also said, and I kind of want to just make sure I cinch this point up before we close here is that, you know, when I think about the, my life experiences, both as a survivor, but then also growing up in the era in which I grew up in and the value systems that tended to be in part of and what I ran and did with that in my lifetime kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, that's the place where we need to start in terms of ourselves. But as a society, we apply that same methodology of thinking, I think, to ourselves. And that's where you get the compassion part, where yeah. you say we can move past this together. Yeah. Right. I understand that your lived experience is different than mine. I understand that. And I want to understand more. And, and but here's the thing that I think we all fundamentally agree on, that if we don't care about people, we don't have much else. We don't that's have it. much else. Yeah. And, and what is this system for then? And so we start that's, dancing mm. around that. We start dancing around that. And that's where we get spin on defining our narratives based on things that are not people defined.
1: They're right. They real. lose
2: their way. And that's easy to have happen. That yeah. can happen. That's not, a, again, like you said, no guarantees for the future. It must be a vigilant thing. So this is about responsible, active citizenship. It's about owning the republic. It's about listening nationally and also listening closely locally hmm. so that the local informs the national and the national informs the local and we can figure out where we want those power ba- balances to lie as we go i don't see the thing is canadian america is not talking about answers it's talking about a path forward whereby we collectively utilize and improve the systems we have to create the better future we want we, mm-hmm. It's a responsibility piece. And that's where, and it puts it right back on who this republic was founded for. We the people. Mm-hmm. So we have to have the conversations. This is why listen, the Listen First people, the, the, the Bridge Alliance, all these people that are out there, I have discovered so many wonderful things. We're already doing the work. What we need is to amplify the message. We need to amplify. We need the grand gesture. And that's where the Declaration of Mission comes so- in
0: so i have to you, i think that you, the... you stole my final i'm gonna bogart rodney's final question
1: no i think she just it, answered it
0: well no um because it was something that in the pre-call you said you wanted to so i'm just gonna kind of take this do it so you just pinned it this is gonna be our final question what is the grand gesture
2: the grand gesture is the declaration of mission. And essentially what it does is it takes the listening that I've been doing for most of my life in terms of all these different things and people. And uh, and like I said, from Trish and I back in high school, where we had this moment where like in Western Civ, we're reading this document. Adults back in 2000 years ago were complaining about life. We looked at each other and I said, so in other words, adults then were complaining about the same things they're complaining about now. Why haven't we figured a way forward from this? Essentially was our conversation. That was in nineteen eighty something. And, you know, and, and that's kind of where I feel we lived a lot of our life from as individuals and in our friendship, which is a whole other conversation, mirrors of some things of you guys. And, and then what it comes down to is saying, okay, we have an idea we've written this thing we've done this observation we've we've talked it through with other professionals this has been vetted this is not just you know our brains alone and
0: we've
2: mm. onboarded average other scholars and people and this is really about average people coming together with their resources ideas and information they have and saying i don't know about you all but here's a thought this is the thought it's compassion ideology as embodied in this document humans have done this throughout their history When they want to to course correct, they create documents and they say, what do you think? Right? That's what this is. This is about opening a huge dialogue. This is about submitting it to every single representative body in the United States of America, because we are we the people. And if we want a government that is going to continue to be designed by, of, and for the people, we have to be part of that process. And it isn't just about electing representatives. It's also creating the guidepost through which our representatives will understand the general tone and tenor of how we want to be governed, they can do the work for us because I don't know about you, but I don't want to make all the decisions. And I don't Mm. want that job. I don't want to go into politics. I don't want that job. But I respect those who go into it with the compassion ideology in mind. And if they embrace it in 2020, if they adopt the Declaration of Mission in 2020, I will certainly be very interested in candidates who do. And not only that, but there are third parties out there, and those third parties are very active and they are starting to grow, and history has shown, from my analysis, they are poised. If they were to embrace a grand gesture strategy, they would actually be able to make some difference in our American political culture. I don't know if they will. I'm thinking of a number in specific. We'll see what happens. But the fact is, if they don't, fine. We, the people, we have these tools, we have these resources. Let's do it. If not us, who? If not Mm -hmm. us, who defines that narrative? And I want a narrative that is as inclusive as possible for my children and my grandchildren to be able to also formulate the world that they will be able to be responsive to in a most compassionate means available to them as thinkers. But then also, ideally, we will have improved the parts of our system that promote combativeness instead of compassionate oriented thinking to the point where they will be in a better position. Then how, well, where I was left still after 40 some odd years, still talking about the same things that I've been talking about since I was a kid. So let's bridge that. Let's bridge it for the future. Let's be that bridge to the future to say enough. We have every opportunity and every right in this country to assert ourselves as the final authority for what our government will look like. And there's no reason we can't.